Welcome everyone to Sunday nights. Uh, listen, we have a very uh, special time this evening. I know that you're about ready to be blessed, but you're also going to be taken on a journey that's going to be a challenging. We're going to go uh, take a look at some of the recent Jewish history going back to the time of the Russians and the Russian pogroms. And if you recall, if you've ever seen the movie or the play, The Fiddler on the Roof and the persecute—excuse uh, me—the persecution against the Jews during that time, and we're going to go all the way back there, and then we're going to fast forward through some history into the days of Nazi Germany with our guest that we have this evening, someone that you have seen many times at Hope for Our Times. He writes articles for us on the featured article section at the website hopeforourtimes.com. And uh, my guest is Olivier Melnick, and you are going to get the personal uh, family story of Olivier Melnick and uh, the uh, Holocaust under the days of Hitler and how it affected his family. And uh, it's just a fascinating look at real life, and you're going to hear some things things that I'm certain are going to bless you, but at the same time, they're also going to be a reminder of the days in which we live and uh, the days uh, of uh, uh, Nazi Germany um, with uh, some real life uh, things that transpired. Olivier, I know this is personal, so some of these areas might be a little bit of a challenge for you to talk about them, but um, I'm glad that you said yes to doing this because you believe the story needs to be told. Absolutely. I do also. Yeah. And people know you as one of my friends and one of my guests, but they do not know this part of the real life and the real family history of Olivier Melnick. And so uh, you ready to go there? They're about to find out. Okay. All right. So you were born in Paris, France. Yes. And you, uh, let, let's go all the way back to your grandfather. Okay. I want to start there. So your grandfather, he came from Russia. Yes. My gr my maternal grandfather, okay. uh, his name was uh, Maurice Shimkovitz. And uh, and uh, he uh, he was basically uh, he was um, he came from uh, Russia. He was born in 1899, and he came to France. Married my uh, my grandmother, who had already been uh, established in France. And they lived in the house where I lived my whole life until I moved to the States, where my mother lived until she passed away a few years ago. And uh, so he came to France in the um, in probably in uh, I guess in like in the 1930s, something like that. Maybe a little earlier, and um, and then the uh, the Germans started to go after the Jews, so uh, he knew that it was not safe because at the time he came, my grandmother had been established, so she had uh, all the papers she needed to be. Uh, as, as being established in France, but he was in the process of getting his papers. He was not there illegally, but he was in the process mm -hmm. of getting his uh, his official papers. And uh, being a Jew from Russia, uh, the according to Nazi Germany, the illegal Jews were the first one they mm -hmm. went after, and then it just went for everybody. So uh, he was hiding in the cellar of the the house that I mentioned to you um, on the east side of Paris where my mother was raised, where I was raised. And it's a 600-year-old building, very old building. Uh, it goes back to, I think, Louis, mm -hmm. Louis XIV. Uh, and um, he was hiding in a cellar uh, because he knew that it was dangerous and he would just come out at night to get meals. And then he was hiding in the place where they keep the coal uh, for, the, for the whole building. And um, 
There was a gentleman that uh, I, I met when I was a little kid. I don't remember him very well, but he, he had me sit on his lap when I was a little kid, which is kind of creepy when you think about what he did, because he mm. called the police, and he said, there was a Jew hiding in the building. Really? Come get him. And the reason why he did that, the best we understand is that because he was secretly in love with my grandmother, and he thought, he thought if I get rid wow. of the husband, I can get the, the woman. That, so this is someone who pretended to be close to you. He was, well, he was a neighbor. He was a friend of the, quote-unquote, friend of the family. But he worked yeah, for the, turned your he, he worked for the French police, and he said there was a Jew hiding in the building, in the building, and that's all he said, come and get him. So I don't know how soon after that, but soon, but I don't know exactly if it's the next day or not, uh, two, two officers from the Gestapo, came and uh, my grandmother opened the door and um, she was told, uh, your husband needs to come with us, not giving any explanation, just tell him to just get a few uh, personal effects and then come wow. with us, he'll return in a few days. And she already knew what was going on you know, in, in, the, in the community, so she, she lied. He, as she spoke, he was under her in the cellar. Mm -hmm. And she lied. She said, I don't know where he is. He left. I, I have no idea of his whereabouts. And she was home with my mother, who at the time was about 15 years old. So she witnessed the whole conversation. And um, they left and they said, well, come back tomorrow. If your husband is not ready to come with us, we'll take you and your daughter. Even though, you know, they, were, mm -hmm. you know, they had all their papers. So. so he didn't have the official papers yet. Right. Uh, your mom and your grandmother they, they were official yeah. citizens. They would have been taken later on anyway, but at right. that time, at in, that time in, of... in, in, the, in the Holocaust uh, time, timeline, okay. they were just going after the what they call the illegal. Okay, so I, I mean, I find this fascinating when you look at just things that are going on today. Well, we're only going after these people right now because right. these are the trouble people, and that's what they did. But they were beginning. We knew what it was going to develop. Just, you know, okay. to get people to comply one, yeah. one, one, little, bit one little bit at a time. You know, it's the, 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 the right. proverbial frog, uh, frog in the pot. Yeah. You, know, you put the frog in the water and you turn the water mm -hmm. hot, a little hotter. It gets a little hotter, a little hotter. Eventually the frog the doesn't feel anything. Mm -hmm. Eventually, the frog scooped. Yeah. So, uh, so what happened is that uh, she she talked to her, her husband that night, and uh, he came back upstairs after they left, and she said, "This is what they're going to do. They're coming back tomorrow, and he's, and you got you have to leave tonight." And then she said, "He said, no, I can't because if I leave, they'll take you. So I'll go with them tomorrow. Don't worry, I'll be okay. I'll come back." So the next day, they came back. He didn't even question it. He left with them and never came back. Never. And he was taken to Auschwitz. Dude, so he was killed at Auschwitz? I, I, later on, when I was writing my, writing my first book on anti-Semitism, uh, I did some research and I found out that he actually died within seven days of being taken. So what that tells huh. me is that he, even di he either died on the train transport, mm -hmm. which was, was terrible conditions, in those you know, kettle cars mm -hmm. with like 50 to 100 people standing for yeah. hours, no food, no, no water. Uh, many died in, on, on those yeah. trains. Or he died upon arrival within a day or two. So he did not suffer through, uh, through, through much. But um, he never came back. The result is that within very soon after that, my grandmother felt it was not, and she was right, it was unsafe for my daughter, for my, uh, my mother to, to, to stay in Paris because things could get worse, which they did. So she, uh, uh, through some contacts, she got false papers uh, and she 
her and my mother and two cousins were sent, mm -hmm. where we took the train to go to the south of France, to the western south part of France, right above the Pyrenees uh, Mountains, above Spain, which was known, at the time it was known as the Le Zone Libre, the free zone. And that line, mm -hmm. that, uh, that, that border line kept moving as the Germans kept moving. Mm -hmm. But And there were Germans in the village where my mother was, uh, but it was a free zone, it was not occupied at the time. And my mother ended up staying on, on a farm for the last two years of the war. She was hiding on a farm uh, as a Catholic girl, pretending to be a Catholic okay. girl. Now, it was easier, not to be graphic here, but it was easier for a Jewish female to hide as a, as a Catholic girl than for a Jewish boy, because Jewish boys were circumcised. And the Germans mm -hmm. would go into schools and places and say, drop your pants. And if you're circumcised, you're Jewish. So we take you. Wow. With the girls, you can't tell. Yeah. So, so she hid on the farm. Uh, I showed you the movie. Yeah, pre she pretended to be Catholic. She pretended to and, be Catholic. Um, so she didn't actually convert to Catholicism, no. but no. for uh, to be able to save her life. Now, I watched the movie. You showed it to right. me. It's very short, only about nine minutes long. Right. This is fascinating. We're going to post it to uh, my website, HopeForOurTimes.com. In fact, um, on, my, on that website, HopeForOurTimes.com, you can go to uh, Recommended. You click on Recommended. Those are videos. I recommend for you to watch. Uh, what's the name of the video again? Uh, the name of the video is Evelyn, like the, the name mm -hmm. Evelyn Returns to Po, P-A-U, Evelyn Returns to Po. Okay. Yes. And you'll see that name on the video when you click on that on Hope for Our Times. And, and it, it's a nine-minute segment from the French TV uh, version of 2020 or, mm -hmm. or 60 Minutes, and where they explain how this family of farmers hid my mother for two years, uh, they're risking their own lives, not taking any money, mm -hmm. they were not Jewish, and that makes them righteous among the nations, which is the Gentiles who helped during the war, who have been recognized by Yad Vashem since 1963. There's only about 27,000 in the whole world. And uh, and so they received a medal uh, after they died. Mm -hmm. So their sons took the medal on their behalf. And that's the segment that I, okay. put, I put translation on. Yeah. So that's the little movie. Let me ask you a little bit about that. So you mentioned in the cattle cars, you know, the, 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 as your grandfather and the, the many Jews were taken uh, by the trains, uh, horrible conditions. Uh, many died in the transportation. You can go to Yad Vashem. You can actually see one of the cattle cars. Uh, you have pictures of it. I did a video in front of it uh, one time um, for anybody who has the opportunity to go back to Israel and back to Jerusalem, going to Yad Vashem, the, the Holocaust Memorial Museum. But also you went there mm -hmm. and you found your uh, you you found. Um, was you went to the wall with the righteous Gentiles? Yeah, what I, yeah. You, when I when, when I took a, I took a group of, of, of uh, friends to uh, to Israel like you do regularly, like I do too, and. Um, we, uh, when I took the group to Yad Vashem, as they went through the museum, I, I took the time to go check because I knew that by then it would have already been uh, recorded to see if that family, the name of that family, was on the wall of remembrance. It's at the very, very end of the property. So I walked there. I found their name in the registry, so I knew it was there. And then I walked there, and I, I, I saw um, I saw that they were there. I think it's 2013 when they were uh, you know put on that wall. That family of simple peasants that basically uh, you know save. Uh, 
Jewish people, uh, you know, just because it was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And, and so there. By the way, the the, the kettle car. Uh, uh, maybe I don't know if you've been. Have you been to the uh, United States Holocaust Memorial in Washington? No, D.C.? I've only been to the one in Jerusalem. Yeah, because it's very well done, and actually, at some point in the, in your visit of the museum, you actually walk through one of those cattle cars. You know, they, that you mm-hmm. enter through one sliding door, and you they use it as a mm-hmm. as a, as a gate to another room. Is so it you, one of the real cattle yes, cars? Yes. So you go wow. through it, and you look around, and you go, and it's wow. very eerie. And uh, I've seen them also at Auschwitz. They have one in the, on display at Auschwitz, mm-hmm. and the one at, at Yad Vashem. But in Washington D.C., you walk through it, and it's uh, they're all you know. There's not that many left. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just thinking of all these things, you have a, another part of the story. We talked briefly about it before with a someone who had learned how to, I don't know if it was called forge documents or was able to copy or something like that, um, had uh, saved 14,000 people. Right. Was, it four, was that right? I think I it, it right? is 14,000. His name escapes me right now. And I'll try to, uh, you know, when you post the video, I will I will give you the, the link to the video. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a segment that you, he's being interviewed as a Frenchman who had this incredible ability to, to duplicate things so he basically made uh, you know uh, he forged papers during the war and by forging the papers uh, in a different Ausweis, uh, you know those papers that the Germans were asking for you know to, to go from one place to the next he saved 14,000 mm-hmm. Jews and because there was really not that many people mm-hmm. doing that during the war it's we can't confirm, but it's very possible that my family got papers through him and some of the people helping him. And so that's how, quite possibly, how uh, they right. were able to be safe. So your your mom had uh, pretended to be Catholic. I think in the video that you showed me, she's wearing her communion gown, correct? Right, right. Uh, so we have that. I saw the picture of the farmhouse. The farmhouse in, that's now there is really a big house. But right. back then, Small in, house. in the other video you have, it's a, it was a tiny place. Yeah. And uh, so Nine people they were in there. there. Nine people. Mm-hmm. So it was your mom and her cousins? Her, my, my mom, uh, Evelyn, and then Richard and Nicole, the two cousins. And I met them. I mean, I've known them my whole life. Uh, and uh, and then the rest of the family, the, uh, the, the parents, the two boys, and then the grandmothers. So a total of nine people in a very small place. So Adolf Kaminsky, does that name ring a bell? Yes, that's it. That's the that's the gentleman. You didn't know how smart I was, did you? You you you, you know how you I amazed me. You I, want to know how I did that? Yes. You know Gabe, who produces, who's who's doing all the work for us right the, now. The guy who you makes you look did? good all the time. The guy who makes me look or tries to make me look good. This is when you're talking. He pulled it up and I saw it over there. But the Adolf, fact that he found it without he found telling it him the name, the, without telling him that's how smart the people are that work for you me. Know, I what, surround myself with smart people. One day you could even be replaced. That's okay, because I, I really want to be with the Lord one day. So, <laughs> okay, but Adolf Kaminsky was his yes, name, 14,000. Right. Um, okay, so... And again, I don't know if he is the one who helped my parents. I don't want yeah, to... Yeah, but know, still, it's, well... It's possible. You, you start narrowing it down, you look at and go... But okay. he's worth mentioning, because one man, 14, through 000. his forging, saved 14,000 yeah. 14, Jews. That's just, that's just incredible. When you, when you consider that 78,000 Jewish people died out of France... 14,000 were saved by one person. That's just amazing. It's, it's amazing. Well, I got to stop here then. I mean, there's a lot more to the story, but you look at that, what one person can do when they are faithful to the Lord. That is just a reminder for everybody. 
who's a believer. Yeah, you know, you know, I in the Talmud it says that there's a famous, and I'm not going to say it verbatim, but it says if one person saves one life, it's as if he has saved the whole world. So you know, you know, and of course the Talmud, I don't believe it's inspired like the Bible, but it's got a lot of wisdom in it. And uh, the point is, it doesn't matter how many people you can help. If you just help one mm -hmm. person, you're making a difference. Amen. You, you definitely make a difference in that person's world. And I think we're coming into a time right now where uh, true Bible-believing yeah. Christians are going to have to make those choices. Okay, well, I'm going to ask you about that uh, because, uh, okay, we're, we're going to get to, we're going to go from the farmhouse and then your mom and your uh, grandmother, I want to cover that too. The whole, everything is just really, uh, I th the story is just so necessary, but, but real quick, I want to stop here about Christians and helping the Jews. So I look at this right now, Matthew 25, I believe. Matthew 25, 31 through 46. Okay, let, let, let's talk about this for just a minute. Then we're going to pick up the story with, with your, your family. Um, the need for Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to help the Jews. You look at Matthew chapter 25, where we have the Lord. Uh, in fact, I'll even read it. Um, so I think of that, and I think of where we are right now. And, and me as a pastor, I look at this, and, and I know what a lot of Christians are dealing with right now. They're thinking, how am I going to help anybody else? They're starting to persecute us. They're starting to feel the burn, yeah. yeah. How, however, there still is this understanding biblically that's hard for a lot of believers to wrap their minds around. The Jews are God's chosen people. And we don't get that teaching a lot in churches. And God still, even in the time of difficulty, God still, uh, it's still a commandment. Or well, it's uh, Genesis twelve three. I will bless those who bless you, or curse him who curses you. So that's that's the, the foundation for the God's uh, God's relationship to, to Israel is is God's foreign policy when it comes to Israel. If you help the Jews, I'll, help, mm -hmm. I'll bless you. Uh, um, Absolutely. So, and so this is the passage. Right. I can read the whole thing beginning at verse 31, or you want me to just shorten uh, it up? Well, you, you can read the first part about the blessing, and then we can talk about okay. the second part, which is the, uh, the the other side of the coin. Okay. So, and this is speaking of the tribulation and at the end of the tribulation, all of it coming together. So this so is future. You gotta put it, it is the future, so you got to put it into the context, because in the tribulation, listen, if you're a Christian, you're going to be persecuted. So during that time, because you haven't received the mark of the beast, so during that time... This is this is even during that time, while the pressure is against the Christian, what does God say? So this is what he says, when the Son of Man, this is Jesus speaking, Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and the holy angels with him, all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. Yep. And he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right hand, come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. 
Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king, this is the Lord, will answer and say to them, to the righteous, Surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Wow. And then he goes on and talks, and he says this, and I'll stop here. Um, then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not take me in, and so forth. Right. And that is a passage speaking during the tribulation period. Speaking the to righteous, Gentiles. The righteous Gentiles. The righteous That's Gentiles. And uh, now one thing that I want to say, you know, right away, because some people might, might go like, well, is this teaching salvation by works? No. It's teaching that... They're already righteous. They're already yeah. righteous. Come to your right... If mm -hmm. They cannot be righteous unless they're, they're right. saved by the blood of Messiah. So they're righteous because they've been saved. They see God's love for Israel, God's love for the Jewish mm -hmm. people. And then during the tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble, it's going to get bad for everybody, yeah. but worse for the Jews. So yeah. they, they want to help the Jews because they're saved and they have it in their heart. Mm -hmm. That's why. So that's not salvation by works. But there's two sides. There's those who help and those who don't. Yeah. Those who help enter the kingdom, the millennial kingdom. Mm -hmm. Those who don't... Don't go directly yeah. into the lake of uh, yeah. Fire he says, stone. "Depart from me." Right, depart is from what me. he actually is. What the, this is the Lord Jesus Christ saying this. Right. This is what he's saying of himself as it all goes down. Right. Uh, but the righteous Gentiles. So I also find this interesting because uh, with the family that saved um, your family, mm -hmm. um, they're part of the righteous Gentiles. They, yeah, according to Yad Vashem, they Yad. are the righteous Gentiles of the previous era. Yes. Yeah, and so you look at this, and yet this is what Jesus is basically saying here, the same thing. He calls them Matthew, righteous. He calls them righteous. So when right. you look at the term righteous Gentiles, right. these are really words of Jesus. Right. Very fascinating. Yeah, and uh, so so the, the point, I'm, I, I really, this passage really speaks to me uh, because I'm looking at what happened to my family in the past with the righteous mm -hmm. among the nations or righteous Gentiles. I'm looking at what is going to take place in the future. And I started thinking uh, uh, a couple of years ago, and I wrote a little book about it, and it's on my website. It's called The Time Is Now, about mm -hmm. you know how, what Gentile Christians can do for the Jewish people. And I thought, even though this is, I'm a premillennial preacher, but I, mm -hmm. I, I believe I'm going to be raptured. That's mm -hmm. the next event in, in my lifetime, as far as a believer, as, as, as being a believer. But that model can be used today. The model of Christians who love Yeshua, who are saved, should do whatever they can to help the Jews. And I believe we're coming into a time where, like you said, unfortunately, Christians are going to be persecuted, but Jews will also be even more so persecuted. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have to uh, uh, to reach out to uh, help the Jewish people. And, and yeah. that's what uh, I believe that yeah. the model that we see that comes in the future in, in the tribulation can be applied to today. Yeah. Uh, why wait? Yeah. Amen. And in as persecution increases against Christians, you don't say ever see the Lord say, well, stop doing what you're supposed to be doing. Right. Exactly. It's, what are you supposed to be doing? Continuing in all the different things that we are supposed to be doing in, in the Lord, including including one of them is partaking of communion. Right. Um, because when we partake of communion, we remember what Christ did. We also remembered he's coming again. So you start looking at everything. We don't stop doing well. No. In fact, all the more as we see the day approaching, we still should continue to meet and to do what the Lord 
Lord tells us to right. do. Okay, I took you off track a little bit. No, that's fine. Okay. Well, let's come back to your mom. I know we don't have a lot of time left. Let's come back. So your your grandfather uh, was taken in the cattle car. car. Your mom had uh, pretended to be Catholic. She was saved in the farmhouse in France. Mm -hmm. And um, take it from there. Uh, let, let, let's back up. I just wanted to say one more thing. Backing up to, uh, to when my grandfather was hiding in the cellar of the, the house, which still exists today in, in the Paris suburb. Uh, in the same house, you had the man upstairs, just one floor, one floor up from us, who called the police and said, there's a Jew hiding, come get him. And you had across the courtyard, maybe 30 yards across the courtyard, another family that my mother was friends as she was a teenager with the girl across and then we became her son and my and me became friends later on so we have really? we, go, we go way back wow. and uh, we're still friends and then that family did not know what was happening to my grandfather had they known they were the kind of family that would have become righteous gentiles just like that they would have said come we'll hide you we'll take you somewhere they did not know it was too late for them to do anything but my point is this upstairs from my parents my grandparents was a man who was a uh, a co-perpetrator mm -hmm. helping the Nazis across from in the courtyard from from my 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 house was somebody who could have been the helper had they known and many places within the building were a lot of people behind their shutters looking down at the Gestapo coming and going to my mother's family and those were the bystanders they didn't do anything. Mm. So in the same building you had those who could help, those who helped the enemy, those who could help the Jews, and those who did nothing because did what nothing. can I do? What do I want to do? And I always, I've always wow. said, I've said this for years, a bystander who doesn't do anything only facilitates the work of a perpetrator. So if you don't do mm. nothing as a Christian, you facilitate the work of the enemy. So we, we yeah. have a choice to make. So that just to go back to the no, that, 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 that time in really history. Powerful. It's also, you know, when I think of it in my mind, um, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with travel and different right, things. Right, but right. I would love to, you know, we talked about going to France with you. Right. Even taking a group there just to visit your old neighborhood, that neighborhood, and just imagining what was going on even um, back in, you know, obviously back in the days of the Holocaust right. and what was taking place with the occupation of France. So, okay, sorry to cut you so, off So again. You, you want me to go, oh, see, what happened then, uh, uh, I uh, I think, I guess, you know, we moving forward to 2015. Okay. 2015, uh, some people, uh, most people remember uh, in America because it made the news globally, you know, the I Am Charlie, Charlie Hebdo, mm -hmm. which is the magazine that uh, is a satirical magazine in France, and uh, some terrorists went in, and when they were having a staff meeting uh, in that the magazine, they killed 12 people because, you know, they had made fun of, of uh, Muhammad the prophet in cartoons mm, yeah. and stuff. So they, whatever reason they had, they just went in and killed those 12 people, uh, you know, point blank like that. Then the next day, two cops were killed on the street, uh, not necessarily related, but it was like three days in a row. It was the first few days of, of January. And then um, the third day, I believe it was January 9th, I'm pretty sure it was January. It was Friday, January 9th, because Sunday the 11th is when France marched on the streets to uh, to remember. So on the 9th, on Friday, uh, I'm I'm just watching, you know, all, all the news I get about anti-Semitism, which is what I specialize on, and I get this, you know, breaking news. I'm in Seattle. I get breaking news right now out of France. This man took, uh, and I'm already on the on the tail end of what happened two days prior. I'm going, this is crazy. And this man took hostages in this kosher supermarket, and I'm looking at him, I'm going like. I've been to that store. As a matter of fact, it's like 500 yards for 
my house, the house where my mother saw the Gestapo take her father. Whoa, what's going on here? So he took he, he took hostages, and uh, and it's developing that it's like the news, the helicopter, the whole thing. Like you know, it's like that's all they have on the screen. And I'm watching this, and I call my mother, and um, and I said, "Mom, are you okay?" And she goes, "I'm a little scared." I said, "Are you home?" She goes, "Yes, I'm home." I said, "Well, lock your door." And at the time, she's like 87. And I go, lock your door, stay home. And my sister, who lives not too far from her, I said, you know, my sister will come get you when it's safe. And then my mother starts crying. And I go, what's, what's going on? You're safe, stay home. And she goes, Olivier, are they coming back for us? I don't know what to say. Yeah, my mother was yeah. old enough to have the Nazi uh, take her father to Auschwitz and live mm -hmm. through that and survive it. But then she lived to be old enough to see the anti-Semitism that we see today where a different kind of anti-Semitism. Mm -hmm. Anti-Semitism has the same goal, but it comes from different mm -hmm. groups of people always uh, uh, inspired by the enemy, by mm -hmm. Satan, really, when you, uh, you know, when you look at it. But she lived to be old enough to see it happen again. And when she asked me, when she said, Olivier, are they coming back for us, the enemies of the Jews? Mm -hmm. It was hard to it was hard uh, to, to I, give any answer. I, I cannot imagine that what your mom must have been thinking. Um, the same living in the same house, same house, five hundred yards away, and it, just growing up there, and knowing that her father was hiding in the in the cellar. You, you and, know, my, my mother. You know, we have this. The, the cellar became a little storage unit for us. You know, we, the, the, everybody living yeah. in, the, in the building has their little storage unit. So it's an old wooden door. You know, and it's like a very mm -hmm. old building. You open it and you you store a stuff. Six hundred year old building, right? Like you said. So you store stuff. My mother, to her death, never went downstairs in the cellar to pick up stuff. She would ask my dad or wow. a friend or me. So can you go get this? Can you go get that? Can you put this down? She would never yeah. from the, from the age fifteen until she died. She could not go downstairs. Yeah. Because of what happened to no, her. No, no kidding. I, I just look at it very so real and then you you have Holocaust deniers today too, which is yeah. just uh, just uh, very troubling to me um, to, to actually hear those types of things. Okay, so with your mom, uh, Olivia, this is I mean it's just so fascinating but heartbreaking. Yeah. But also there is some joy in it too. Um, your your mom and your dad. So. Your mom passed away. She passed away in the end of September 2019. Okay. And my dad passed away, I think, seven years prior to that. And uh, I think where you're going to do with this is that I had the privilege of leading both my parents to the Lord. Uh, I believe it was in 2011 when my dad was dying of cancer. And I, I, I came back to France to just be with him one more time. I led my mother to the Lord. And then we went to the hospital to visit my dad and five hours later. And then we led my dad to the Lord. He couldn't talk. He just, uh, I just led him to the Lord. And he was holding, I uh, was holding my finger. And every time I, I said a, a part of the prayer, the sinner's prayer, he would squeeze my finger to say, yes, wow. yes, yes. And then at the end of, of his prayer, I look at him as a good spiritual son would tell a father, are you really believing this or are you saying this yeah. to brush me off? The, the last <laughs> thing you want to say to somebody who just prayed. Well, but his whole yeah, life he fought me. Right. And and he's Jewish, obviously. And his whole life he fought yeah. me. He would get red in the face when I talk about Yeshua, Jesus. And then he could barely speak. Yeah, he, he had very little strength. He, you know, he died of esophageal cancer. And he looked at me and in French he said, je crois, je crois, I believe, I believe. And that was the you know, last time I talked to him. 
So wow. And uh, so the you the next time you'll see him, both of them will be in the and, and your mom. So your your dad gets saved and your mom. Right. Was so that was I cried a lot that day. I, when I led him to the, both of them, and I called my wife twice in, in the states in, the, in in Seattle, and I, I didn't care what time it was because it was nine hours different. I think I woke her up twice, and I told her, "You're not going to believe this." I prayed to, I prayed with mom, and then five hours later, I said, "You're not going to believe this." I prayed with dad. <laughs> she was like, we, "We cried a lot. It was wonderful." Wow, you know your story needs to be told. We just did a, a, a lot more. <laughs> yeah, we did. I hope that people will really share this uh, because there's so much here. So uh, I look at your your mom and dad. Okay, and uh, I know we're almost out of time, but uh, do we have enough time for a little bit more? How, how many Keep more? asking. Okay, okay. So okay, I'll hold you here forever then. Okay, no. So um, thinking of, they both came to faith in Yeshua. Mm-hmm. Uh, just before your dad passed away, obviously, Two weeks. and then your your mom a few years before. Okay, so, but but uh, with that, I, I look, they're Jewish Holocaust survivors, both of them. Your grandfather taken Auschwitz, in Auschwitz and in the death camps, you had people who worked for the SS or whoever. They were going to church on Sundays. I've read stories about how some of these uh, people working in the death camps would go to church. They'd be singing Amazing Grace at the death camps while they're making sure Jews are being hauled into the gas chamber or killed or slaughtered or to have the dogs attack them or whatever it is. So I've I've had my dad ask me this question. He had a friend of his that was very close. His friend, my dad's 90 now. His friend died a few years ago. His friend was a Holocaust survivor. And he... And my dad used to talk to him about the Lord all the time. And um, he said, Jim is my dad's name. I just don't understand if your God is real. How could he let us go through what we went through? And my dad would call my dad called me in tears one time and he asked me about that. that. He goes, how do I he goes, how do I answer my friend? That was uh, that was my my mother's question repeatedly when I told her about Yeshua in uh, the relationship I have with God. And she said, how can you believe in a God that will allow the Holocaust to happen? I mean, is, is, is that real? Is, does he not care? Is he not powerful enough? And and, and it, this this is probably the uh, one of the most common questions that especially people that have had members of their family die in the Holocaust. You know, they're, you know, it's dwindling down to very few survivors now because they would be in their 90s. No. So it's going to be a few more years and they'll be all gone. And that's why it's important that we do this. That we, we mm-hmm. tell the story is real. And uh, that's the first question that my mother asked me when I led her to the Lord. I was sitting down in our living room in, the, in, the, in that house and sitting on the floor next to her. And I, I, I said, Mom, you know, Dad is probably not come out of the hospital. They'd been married for 63 years. I said, you know, he's not coming back to the hospital. She started crying. She was, I know. I said, what am I going to do without him? And I said, well, you know, whatever people say, whatever people do, you know, you need God more than ever now because man is always going to disappoint you. Whatever we do, whatever we say, it, 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 at some point it, it, it breaks it. We, we, we break a promise. So we, and I, I told her, you're going to need God when dad is gone more than anything else. And she goes, I'm, you're probably right. And then she went, but how can I believe in a God that allowed for the Holocaust? And then I believe, really, I really believe the Holy Spirit gave me this illustration because I didn't come prepared for that mm-hmm. question. I said, well, Mom, our son, his name is uh, Julien. I said, Mom, at the time he lived with us, I said, uh, I said, Mom, 
if Julien was to come home one night with two police officers saying, your son read two red lights and two stops, and we have a ticket for $1,000 for everything, and we just bring him back to your house, how would you like to pay for this, Mr. Melnick? And I would look at the police officer and would say, wait a minute, he's 20 years old. He knows the law. He broke the law. He's old enough to be responsible. Why are you holding me responsible for something he did? And I'd look at my mom and I said, why are you holding God responsible for what men did to other men? She looked at me and she said, that makes sense. Hmm. I didn't, when she said that yeah. makes sense, I didn't know what to say. I didn't expect yeah. her to, it just because it's true. You know, it, it, God is not responsible for the Holocaust. The, did, it, uh, did he allow it to happen? Well, we have to say yes. Because if he did not allow it to happen, that would mean that God is not in control of everything. So he had to allow it mm -hmm. to happen. It's not something he rejoiced. Actually, in, I think it, uh, in uh, Isaiah 69.7, or I'm not sure about the address, but it's in the 60s, um, it, there's a verse that says, in all of their affliction, speaking of God and the Jewish people, in all of their affliction, he was afflicted. So God did not rejoice for the death of one Jewish person. Actually, in the, mm -hmm. in the Bible, it tells us he doesn't rejoice for the death of anybody, for he wants all to come to him and be saved. But um, so I, uh, uh, so that's that's what I was. I, did, I told my mother, do not hold God responsible for what men did to other men. And that time, that was no. helpful. Is it is it the right answer for everybody? I don't know. Yeah, uh, I just find it. Um, so I mean, I the, all of it. So just insightful because there's a lot of people that are young that don't hear anything about the Holocaust <clears throat> and, and to know that your mom and dad both came to faith in Yeshua is to me it's just I, I get to meet them then because I never got to meet them That's I've right. seen your mom on video but I've, right. I've never been able to meet her along with the righteous Gentiles saw that video too again that video is on our website and by the way uh, there was a survey that was in 2018 uh, almost a third of young Europeans aged 18 to 35 either do not know what the Holocaust is or have very little knowledge of it. Wow. And 30%. And 28%, and I believe, of... The, the, it was seven countries that were done at, like a, a, a survey, and one of them was Poland. And in Poland, uh, it's either 30 30% or 50% of Polish young, young adults, 30, 18 to 35, did not know what Auschwitz was in Poland. Wow, this is crazy. Yeah. I have I, I, I just when I read that and, yeah. and it was a serious survey. It was not one of those. Uh, it was done uh, by a, a group in uh, in Great Britain, and I got a lot more numbers on that one because I used it in one of my messages, and it was alarming. Yeah, because with th with them not knowing and the Holocaust revisionists and and, and 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 deniers teaching exactly the opposite of the truth, then within one generation, it'll be all gone. It, it will absolutely be yeah. gone. And with the Holocaust survivors, so few left and so old, um, and, you know, we've been watching this right. as part of the narrative now, the Holocaust denial. And uh, I can see where it's going. I was blessed uh, the other night. We were at our house, and my son had uh, one of his friends over there. His friend, I think, was 17 years old. And we were able to ask him, right. do you know what the Holocaust was? And, he, and, and his he answer was, I know, I, I, I like history. I yeah. know history. I, I, I know history. I was and he shocked. Was like, yeah, I, I was shocked. I was, I was pleasantly, I, I, was, I mean, I talk about it around my family. So, you know, my son and my, my daughter here, but they've both been to Yad Vashem. But, you know, 
to hear that from somebody else. You really know, uh, Mahmoud Abbas, the leader of Fatah, uh, he yeah. did his uh, a doctoral dissertation on Holocaust denial. That's that's I the did theme. Not, I didn't know that. What's interesting? So in, in the, the whole the whole paper that he wrote, the whole thesis that he wrote is on the fact that the Holocaust never happened. Yet he's been quoted several times that another Holocaust will take place for the Jews. So which is it? Yeah, another it Holocaust. Never, it so never happened, but another but one. Will, another one is coming. That, that's, that's the hypocrisy. That's, that's, that's the, the hypocrisy. And that's the admission right there. Right. Yeah. Um, and he's the one that took over for Yasser Arafat, isn't right. he? Right. Yeah. So you look at that with with all this. So I look at things. I look at the Bible. I know the Bible tells us Zechariah chapter twelve, for example, says that all of the world is going to be against Israel. That's not just against Israel. That's against the Jew. When when God's talking about Israel, He's talking about the Jewish people. The Jewish people globally. Yeah, yeah. globally. Because we're and in a diaspora. He's talking yeah. about both, the land and the the, the ethnic Jews. Right. Um, so uh, all the world's going to turn against Israel. We see the narrative going that way. Mm -hmm. um, what would be some of your your other thoughts you just want to convey before we conclude our time? Uh, like we, we, we've talked, you know, about the, the, the righteous Gentiles of the Nazi era. Uh, I want to give a challenge to our Christian friends, our uh, Gentile Christian friends who, uh, the, the people who follow your, your program, uh, Tom, because I know how much you love Israel, or how much you love the Jewish people, and um, how much you talk about about it. Uh, and uh, and again, you know, before I forget, thank you for giving me a chance to, to share my testimony and my family story, because uh, it, it needs to be heard. It needs to be heard. Uh, Gentile Christians, non-Jewish Christians today need to be prepared to uh, to, to extend a hand, a loving hand to the Jewish people, like we're going to see in a, in a tribulation. We need right now. I don't know if it's going to be in in the next six months, the next six years, mm -hmm. next sixty years. I don't know. I don't see a lot of time ahead of us before Yeshua yeah. comes back and you know takes us in a rapture. But uh, uh, Gentile Christians need to be prepared. But they have to have the right heart. They won't, don't want to do it because well, I got to do it because it's it's you know God wants me to do it. If you truly have Yeshua in your life, and if you if, if the Holy Spirit is really leading you, then it should be a natural thing to want to help your Jewish friends. Yeah. That, that's what I would say too. You know, you, you take Genesis chapter twelve, verse three. I'll bless those who bless thee. I'll curse those who curse thee. Some people say, "Well, I'm going to bless some Jews because then God will bless me." Well, right. that's that's not it, that's not going to work. And I'm sure. Well, I know many people have tried that, but what it, it is the heart thing. You, you I want to bless the Jews because God loves them. Because and I please, because yeah. God loves them. Right. I want to be on God's side right. in in this. Right. I want to be on God's side of history, no matter what men are telling me, no matter what the rewritten history books are telling me yeah. no matter what the UN says and CNN and Fatah and, and, and the Iranian leaders say, I want to be on God's side in this regardless because I know what's going to happen. Uh, Jesus himself said when he's talking to the religious leaders at the end of Matthew chapter 23 you will not see me again until you say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Baruch Hashem Adonai. Amen. You did that very good. You've got good French and some this, good this some French. good Hebrew. This was not and some good Hebrew. <laughs> <laughs> and good English. Right. And some good Hebrew. <laughs> Some of your Hebrew is better than mine. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think it will. <laughs> but then in Zechariah chapter 12, 
uh, verse 10, that's exactly that's what happens. The yeah, they, they the look hope. upon him. And we know, again, uh, uh, Romans chapter 11, blindness in part has happened to Israel until the time of the Gentiles is full, and then all Israel will be saved. The Lord is returning again. And uh, what a blessing it is to have you here share your testimony today. Well, it was, it, it's, it's really, it really warms my heart that you would want to do this because, again, it's not, it's not heard enough. And, you know, the, the, the stories are, they're disappearing, you know, because yeah. people die and people, or they, 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 they don't want to talk about it. A lot of people don't want to talk about it because it's not pleasant. Yeah. It's not pleasant. Well, it needs to be out there. I would love to, to go on the road with you to places that would invite us and just do an interview with you like this. Nothing rehearsed, just talk. And, right. and I get to learn more, too, in the process. Right. But I think your story really needs to be heard, as do many others. I have a few other friends also are from families of Holocaust survivors. So if someone that we know, uh, uh, maybe they're on your trip or my trip or maybe not with us. Let's say they're not with with us. Mm -hmm. They're going to go to Jerusalem. Let's say they're able to travel again. Um, and uh, they go to Yad Vashem. Where could they go to see your family? Well, my family is not there by name, but if they go to the wall of the Gentiles, uh, the, the wall of the righteous Gentiles, I believe uh, it's it's by country and by year. And I think it's, you know, it would be France, of course, in uh, uh, 2013, I believe, when they were put on the wall, it's Pierre, you know, Pierre and Ida, I-D-A, Pierre and Ida Darico, D-A-R-R-I-C-A-U, Pierre and Ida Darico. That's the couple with the two boys that uh, hid my uh, my mother during the war. So their name is there. Yeah, that's fantastic. And you see the Corey Tim Booms area and, and uh, they were planting Austin. a tree they for were, yeah. for all the righteous Gentiles, and they ran out of room. So they started yeah. putting their names on the wall now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much, Olivier. I was blessed. I believe everybody watching this was blessed. Yeah, well, thank uh, you. And thank you. And God bless all of you. Listen, until next time, if we're not raptured, I'll see you soon. God bless and shalom. 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 Thanks for listening and being a part of this week's podcast. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to visit our website, hopeforourtimes.com, and check out the many resources we have to offer. On our website, we have books, DVDs, and daily news articles that will always keep you up to date on the times we're living in. If you'd like to see the video version of this week's podcast, you can find us at Hope For Our Times on YouTube. God bless, and we'll talk to you next time.